When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. And thanks to Holy Mary and all the Saints that Palace finished above Brighton in the league. I mean, morally, we're way ahead, but it's nice when the league table confirms that. I'm Kevin Day, and down there in the depths of the Premier League is Brighton fan and expert in football fighting, <laughs> Kieran McGowan. Hello, Kieran, how are you? I'm, I'm grand, thank you very much, Kevin. I'm uh, looking forward to this. Uh, a fully packed show it is. It is fully packed, yes. I won't uh, tell the people at home how fully packed you described it as, but it involved a celebrity's testicles. Let's leave it there. Um, <laughs> good last day of the city. It's been so long since Palace got a point, I generally didn't know what to do with myself on on Sunday. It was, um, it was slightly confusing. Well, it was quite good for me because my two next-door neighbours, one of them is a Spurs fan and the other one is a Palace fan. Oh, OK. So, of course, they were they were sort of throwing daggers. And then the ice cream van came before, about an hour and a half before kickoff, and we were all in a queue together and I, I had to separate the two of them. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Do you realise how bourgeois that sounds? You had to separate them in an ice cream queue. Well, yeah, it was, it was some very good gelato as well, you'll yeah, find. You've, you've travelled a long way from Bermondsey, haven't you? Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of which, for for logistical reasons, we are having to, to record this show slightly earlier than normal. And I know that I'm keeping you away from your Tom Kerridge steak, kidney, oyster and pheasant pie. So let's let's crack on with this, Kieran. Um, it's, it's stories. They will, we'll talk about the financial implications for the relegated clubs from the Premier League in a moment. But first, there's some breaking news on the London media this evening for Charlton Athletic fans. Uh, and it's not good in a week that's already seen them relegated. Yes, very much so. Um, in, in the evening standard tonight, there was a story, and that's the, that's the London sort of local paper for yeah. people not familiar. Um, there was a there was a, a story that their, their very existence uh, is now in threat, and that is due to the EFL uh, coming out with a statement uh, on Monday of this week, um, and, and that statement uh, was saying that the the EFL had failed to uh, be be really given assurances with regards to the prospective change of ownership of East Street Investments. East Street Investments is the is the company which bought Charlton for a pound. It was uh, controlled by two guys uh, who had an immediate fallout, and uh, they then sold the club to 
somebody else who is described as a businessman, and I think this guy's lawyer is also the guy, if, if people do their, their homework, is the guy that uh, was uh, 12 months ago claiming he'd found a Brazilian priest who was going to rescue Berry Football Club, and that didn't turn out to, to materialise very well. So with all of this uncertainty and the noises coming out of uh, the EFL, who, who do seem to be putting their foot down on issues at present, uh, it, it doesn't sound good. Charlton have then gone back to playing um, press release table tennis, and they've come out with, oh, there's nothing wrong, and it'll all be sorted within 24 hours. Uh, it, it's one which we need to watch carefully. Uh, Charlton, it doesn't matter who you support, and I know that uh, that Palace and Charlton aren't aren't the best of friends, but uh, you know it's it's it, it's an old fashioned traditional club. Uh, but more importantly than that, my uncle Tom had trials there in 1951, so you know I don't want to see it go bust either. Uh, look, football is always more important than the, the clubs. As, as you probably know, I did a benefit for Brighton back in the day when they were still without a ground because you know you you can't have a rival with a club that doesn't exist, and it's you know it, it is just down the road. We don't particularly like them, but no club is going out of business on our watch if we can possibly help it. But you, you mentioned Berry, but unfortunately there are a couple of people already. Uh, seeking parallels with the early stages of the Berry story, aren't they? Because the EFL are, are kind of willy-waving in the same way that they were when the Steve Dale story was, was unwinding. It, it, it seems that there are similarities, don't there? Yeah, both both clubs were sold for a quid. Yeah, um, Both uh, inherited owners who have start, started doing strange stuff. So in the case of Steve Dale, it was, uh, you know, he, he, he was transferring assets of the club to new companies. He stopped all the direct debits and the standing orders and the wages stopped fairly soon afterwards. Uh, yeah, we, we know that Charlton have been under a transfer embargo since January because the new owners failed to provide proof of funding to the EFL. Um, and, and whilst you can understand that Charlton fans are hacked off with the EFL to a certain extent. They are they are they they are given a fate accompli. Um, you know, the the ownership of the company is transferred, and then the EFL effectively get to work. Um, and and if you don't provide them, and this is one of the crazy, if you don't provide them with proof of funding, then there's not a huge amount that they can do because the the ownership has already moved. And the the trouble is as well, Kieran, and Newcastle fans may well find this out, that when a club like Charlton have had someone like the Chatelet for so long, you automatically assume that any new owner is going to be better than the idiot you've had. But that's, it's not always the case. And, and it, we so often see that the, the short-term relief of being taken over by anyone is replaced by the long-term theory that you've actually been taken over by someone who's worse than the person you've had before. Yeah, I've got to agree with you entirely. You know, being not Mike Ashley doesn't make you necessarily a good person. Stuart Day wasn't the greatest of owners at Berry, but he was better than Steve Dale. Uh, if, if you take a look at Randy Lerner at Aston Villa, uh, he he fell out with the, the fan base, or rather they fell out with him, but he stuck 150 million quid into the club. Then they inherited Tony G, who within two years had them within an hour of liquidation. Uh, if Ellis Short and the Sunderland fan base, that wasn't a great relationship. They've now got Stuart Donald and Charlie Methven. That's not worked out well. So, you know, j- just be careful. You know, it, it's not, not a case of running away with the woman next door. Um, yeah, she's not necessarily better than what you've got already. 
Yeah, I don't think anybody listening to this, Kieran, was going to use that as an analogy, but fair enough. No. <laughs> and your your mention of Randy Lerner, and of course you mentioned you had to mention Randy in that sentence, didn't you? But your mention of Randy Lerner has provided us with a link that producer guys so tangibly failed to do so this week. Uh, I mean, I know he's had baby birthdays and all sorts, but really these questions are all over the place. But luckily, Kieran, you've come up with a link because Villa did stay up. Um, Watford and Bournemouth were relegated from the Premier League. What are the financial implications for each of those clubs? And it, it, it does seem to me that Watford, out of all three of them, would, or the two relegated ones, would be the most worried because that, their ownership seems to be volatile. Um, yeah, I don't think the, the ownership's not necessarily volatile. The, the ownership's decision-making is volatile. I mean, Watford managed to get through four managers this season. And if you take a look, I think they've had five years in the Premier League and you count up the number of managers, there must be a hell of a lot of payoffs yeah. that have taken place during that period. Um, I, 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 I've crunched the sums. I've looked at the the difference in income for all the clubs that have been relegated over the course of the last decade. Um, and in total, it comes to uh, just under a billion pounds uh, has been the drop in income between those clubs put together. Uh, Watford, Bournemouth uh, are likely to to see a drop in income of up to eighty million pounds. Uh, you know that they will receive parachute payments, but I I, I think that parachute payments are going to fall, um, and that's for two reasons. First of all, the the Premier League is going to have to give some rebate of the of the broadcasting deal. Well, the broadcasting deal includes the parachute payments. So if the if the uh, if the Premier League's got to give ten percent or fifteen percent back in respect to what's happened this season, that's going to impact upon the parachute payments for those clubs. Um, the overseas rights. Uh, for broadcasting, they are being calculated under a new formula. That has implications for parachute payments, which drives them down further. Um, it does look also that Bournemouth are, uh, the phrase is, considering their legal options. Oh, And okay. um, as you may recall, on the very first match that uh, when restart occurred, um, Hawkeye failed yes. to work. Yes, yes. And Sheffield United were denied a goal when the ball had crossed the line. Yeah. Now, um, whilst I don't think there's any uh, looking at the, the the Premier League rules, there doesn't seem to be any justification for retrospectively um, taking a point away for Villa and giving Sheffield Wednesday Sheffield United two extra points. Um, Bournemouth could conceivably put in a claim for compensation because of the failure of the technology. I've been through the the Premier League handbook and I don't think that they've got much of a case because to a certain extent it, it's 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 an extension of human error. Yeah. You know, and, and we know that referees make mistakes and that's all part of the game and, and everybody buys into football on that basis. Um, but uh, our friends in the silver-tongued uh, industry that they will always be whispering in the ear of an owner you know we, we could get you 20 or 30 million pounds compensation yeah. for this so uh you know the premier league might be uh receiving uh, an email or two with a demand for compensation or an increase in parachute payments because uh, bournemouth will say that you know hawkeye is, is supposed to work 100 percent of the time and it didn't i can't see how the premier league could could cave into that because that basically leaves them open to all sorts of claims because I mean that Hawkeye decision was wrong and Hawkeye apologised within minutes but VAR also failed to, to pick it up which was a ludicrous decision. You could argue that Villa 
benefited from the Palace goal being disallowed when it should have been a goal when it came off Sacco's shoulder. But you could also argue that Palace scoring so early in that game might have spurred Villa into action earlier. You know, Sheffield United scoring might have made Villa score three goals in the second half. It's, it's, it, it, once you once you start saying what ifs in any football game, you you simply can't you can't predict what would have happened. So I, I it would smack of desperation. I mean, obviously, if there's twenty thirty million pound available, you would imagine that they would they might chance their arm. But the Premier League might as well say, well, let's not have VAR and Hawkeye and go back to referees, and then you can sue referees. It's a it's it's not. I hope it, I hope it doesn't happen. While I feel for Bournemouth fans, and while I would be as furious as they are in the circumstances that, that they went down, but you you kind of you know people like me can't complain about VAR all the way through and then say, well, I think it's right. You can sue people, but I, I got off the point. Do you know what? I forgot what the point was when I started that. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so worried about your pie getting cold. Um, um, anyway, so we're in the championship. Uh, I'm desperately trying to find links now that that guy failed to find. We're in the championship now. And also in the championship, Barnsley are in the championship. Barnsley have called out, it says here, the EFL and other clubs in the championship for lack of governance and failure to pay transfer fees. Now, I was not aware that producer guy was an American teenager, but we'll let called out stand for now. So what's... um, Barnsley is one of those things that have been rumbling across this season, haven't they? And we both said on several occasions their attitude will very much depend on whether they stay up or go down. They've stayed up, but they're still grumpy. Well, they've stayed up at present. Of course, um, Wigan still can appeal, yes. Because they're, they're, Wigan's appeal, I believe, is due to be held on Friday. the 31st of July. Yes. Um, so, you know, who, who knows? Um, so, yeah, but Barnsley, first of all, you've got to give them credit for winning. Um, their their final match. Uh, I I watched that match against Brentford, and yeah. that that was one of the few matches where I I was getting you know get, getting back into proper football relationships. I shouting at a screen and uh, you know ab- abusing referees. So it, it was it was a real end to end game, and you know you got to give them a lot of credit because on a tiny budget they managed to stay up and then a couple of days later you think they would have said well yeah we're we're, we're safe uh we're not going to go any further out came this email sorry out, out came this uh report on the uh a post on their own website and it, and it really went to town so there were accusations about clubs uh trying to abuse financial fair play mm. there was an, an overall uh, accusation about the lack of integrity from other clubs in the division this uh, a lack of governance uh clubs being bought and sold without uh passing the owners and directors test um and and then they made it a bit more personal to say oh, by the way we sold a player in august 2019 and we've still not been paid. So, and everybody, of course, then, then goes into uh, you know transfer market and trying to work out who the player was, who was the other club involved. Um, they say that they have paid the wages of their players 100%. Mm. They pointed the figure to finger at other clubs who have uh, negotiated deferrals and wage cuts with their players. And, and generally, they're, they're pretty hacked off with life in the championship um, and, and some of the people that they have to deal with on a regular basis at EFL uh, owners' meetings. So have we identified the, the club that has failed to pay them a transfer fee? Um. There, there are one or two in the frame. Um, so uh, the, the, the common belief it's it's either one of Hull or Sheffield Wednesday. Um, I, I, I can't say which or 
if either we don't know whether they're actually telling us the truth you know it could be that they're just flailing out so um most transfers these days are done on an installment basis um and one of the things about financial fair play, which is supposed to be applied universally, is that if you fail to pay your football debts, then that the then you become yourself subject to sanctions yeah. from the football authorities. So that you have to question why this has not been the case in respect of Barnsley, if they have a legitimate claim against another club for non-payment. It's a tricky one for Barnsley PR-wise, really, because the club they're kind of in competition with to stay up is Wigan. And Wigan, at the moment, are probably the club for which most football fans have more sympathy than anyone else. So Barnsley's correct stance, I think, Barnsley's moral high ground, is slightly being ignored in favour of a, a club that possibly deserves more sympathy than they do. It's an interesting one for them. But, of course, they're, they're quite right. I mean, you've said this before. You don't mind when a club acts in its own self-interest because at least they're being honest and at least they're trying to protect their own uh, future. And, and what Barnsley are saying is that other clubs have done nothing to help them, so why should they help anybody else? Yep, yep, absolutely true. Right. Okay, I was expecting more elaboration than Kieran, but I, I understand I'm keeping you from your dinner. That's right. That's no, no, right. no, 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 no. The, the, the Baroness has just brought me some steak, so I'm, I'm nibbling on a piece of sirloin as we speak. Oh my lord! I can't tell you how different your world is to mine. I was <laughs> literally 15 minutes ago, as I said to Ali, to Kieran's furious I'm keeping him from his dinner. Ali was on the web, on, she was surfing some website. She just went, "They've got it in green. I'm off to IKEA." So, uh, <laughs> right. well, well, the Baroness is bringing you steak, and I'm wondering what I'm going to have to eat. <laughs> That's fine. Anyway, um, there's there's no there's no logic in this because Guy basically threw all the questions up in the air this week and saw where, saw where they landed. Um, someone has claimed to be interested in buying Sunderland. Any clues? This is a gentleman called William Story, um, and he posted up on LinkedIn. Uh, he he says. Um, I've signed a non-disclosure agreement to buy Sunderland Football Club. I'm going, well, isn't that a bit of a bit of a paradox? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so immediately sort of my, uh, my antennae were twitching away. Uh, so he said he's made a formal offer. He says he's got some blue chip backers, um, and as well as his uh, his claim that he's is interested in buying the club, he he stuck up a picture of a of a Sunderland shirt with his company sponsoring it. Except the the smarter people in Sunderland said, "Hold on, that shirt's about three years out of date." Yeah. So yeah, that is using the old trim, um, and then you do a bit more digging around about Mister Story. And it turns out that uh, he runs uh, – he, he's sort of the owner of an energy drink called Rich Energy, which uh, which apparently he and an Austrian scientist created in 2009 with a mysterious formula. Um, and he has been involved uh, in sports before, but none of it has ended particularly well. So when uh, when Force India went into administration, he tried to buy a Formula One team, but the administrators knocked him back. Now, that could be for one of two reasons. A, he didn't offer enough money, or B, they just thought he was a tyre kicker. Right. Um, he sponsored the, or rather his, his rich energy drink, sponsored the Haas Formula One team. Um, and that was terminated early, and that was a bit mysterious. And he's been involved in other aspects of motorsport as well. So 
clearly he he likes the he, he likes the attention he he likes the uh you know being in the pits and around things of that nature um and, and buying a, a football club such as Sunderland is, is a glamorous thing to do you know we, he he's got netflix i suspect and he's thinking i could i, I want some of that so um it, it it's 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 an ownership deal that that has huge question marks over it um i think a in the short term will he offer enough will it be accepted will it be, will he will he satisfy the owners and directors test and and then on a medium to long term even if he does where, where can he take the club because I, i've not seen um his energy drink uh, anywhere and i shop in waitrose fair point well, to be fair, I've not seen Carabao any, anywhere, and they sponsor the League Cup, and they're doing very well out of it, apparently. You always get slightly suspicious when someone says, I've got some blue-chip buyers, while they're also telling you that they've signed a non-disclosure agreement. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you kind of think this might be a 17-year-old boy who's photoshopping his company's name onto a club shirt. But it, in terms of the finance, it, it strikes me, I don't know much about Formula One uh, finances because I have no interest in the sport whatsoever. Uh, it's not a sport. It's not. It's, I can't even drive, which drives Ali up the wall, to be perfect. It doesn't stop me leaning out of car windows and advising other drivers, obviously. But uh, the, the finances, the finances Formula 1, I, I would imagine that if you were able to afford even a low-level Formula 1 team, you could probably afford a League 1 football club, could you? Um Yes, I mean the the big teams, the likes of McLaren and so on. That they are they are successful. They do make money. The vast majority of the um, of of the Formula One teams actually lose quite a bit of money. It's it's not a, it's not a very uh, profitable sport uh, because as well as uh, monitoring the Aviva Rugby uh, English cricket teams and football, uh, I also look at Formula One. Uh, just out of curiosity, so yeah, they, they they do they do mainly lose money, but you but you do need to put a lot in at the start of each season um, to pay for the the upgrades in engineering and, and the testing and things of that nature, and then yeah. you try to recoup it during the season. I, I, I hesitate to ask this question, but have you got a favourite Formula One team, or does that change depending on where you're living at the moment? <laughs> no, no, I, I I'm I genuinely am not a yeah, it, it's not a sport for me. Uh, because it's not a sport. Fair enough. Um, Sunderland fans, I, one day, you probably get mentioned on this pod more often than anybody else to the extent that we get regular tweets from people if you're not mentioned on the pod. I I really, really hope that one day Kieran will bring you the news that uh, a Sunderland-born and bred businessman who's made his money and is, has impeccable credentials, uh, if you could eat a little less noisily, Kieran, that'd be great as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's the only reason I'm saying these things is to give you time to, to chew. I nearly said swallow, but that would have been a terrible mistake to chew. But we, we would, lo- I would love to be able to say to Sunderland fans one day, we've got some great news for you. A local chap with a load of money who loves your club wants to buy you. But until then, I'm afraid we keep coming up with people like Mr. Story and his blue chip followers. Now, um, the next story in our random journey through the world of football. Um, and this one's been cutting it fine, considering the Scottish Premier League starts on Saturday. Hearts and Partick Thistle will be in the Scottish Championship and League One respectively next season after an arbitration panel decided not to overturn their relegations. Is this definitely, finally, absolutely the end? Yes, it is. Right. Um, so initially, Hearts and Partick were, were suing the SPFL. They were trying to go through the legal courts. The legal court said, this is a football issue. Why haven't you gone to the Scottish Football Association? Because that's what your constitution says. Yeah. 
Um, so there, there were three people, I think, on the, the Scottish FA board or uh, appointed to, to listen to Hearts and Partick's claim. Uh, ultimately, there was a decision made uh, a few months ago by 42 clubs to suspend the season and to have promotion and relegation based on the positions there. Um, so this does mean, and, and also Hearts and Partick, if they had been successful, then Dundee, you know, Dundee, Dundee United, Wraith Rovers, and Cove Rangers would not have been promoted. So there were there were issues uh, in terms of both promotion and relegation. Um, they, but Hearts and Partick have said. We've agreed that we're not going to pursue things any further. We're not very happy. This is uh, not a good day for football. Um, but as you rightly say, you know, the season starts this weekend. So at least we have a degree of clarity, even though we've still got some grumbling taking place. Yeah, and, and whilst your sympathy, again, to use that word uh, on this pod, is with uh, the relegated teams, you have to spare a thought for Dundee United. It must be, it's been very difficult for them to prepare for the start of the Premier League season, knowing that there was the outside chance that they wouldn't be actually taking place in it after all. Yeah, because you've got you've got recruitment, you've got retention, you've got new contracts, you've got sponsors who say, "Well, we're willing to pay you X if you're hosting Rangers and Celtic next season, but we're willing to pay you you know a third of X if we if you're not." Um, so it it does make the job of everybody in what is a very difficult time for you know let's face it football is just one industry of many that is struggling at present um it, it makes things uh, extremely difficult for the people involved with the clubs but at least that now they can go forwards with uh, with a degree of clarity and it looks as if the the 10 million pound compensation claim that was being put in by hearts and partick that also has disappeared yeah okay um well, actually, speak. I wasn't going to mention this, but I, I only noticed this evening. My Catholic friends in Scotland and family will be absolutely furious that I make the leap from Glasgow to Northern Ireland. But um, it will be the first British game on Friday. I think the Northern Ireland, the Cup final in Northern Ireland, is happening on Friday and in front of a, a crowd as well. I think there's going to be a thousand people allowed in to watch that at Windsor Park, which is a, a good step forward, hopefully, for the rest of us. Um, yes. Now, yes, uh, and hopefully that will be on telly because despite me moaning about how much football there's been to watch in the last three months, I've literally had nothing to do in the last two days. It's I, I will watch any football now. It's, it's like it's, it's suddenly turned into July. It's like proper July again. There's no football, and I'm really cross about it. I've been watching two <laughs> games a day. I've been watching two games a day for twelve weeks and moaning, and now I've got nothing. Uh, I've I've I'm watching Saturday Cooks tonight. The best of. There you go. Um, <laughs> and that, yeah, I'm only thinking about that because you're eating while we're talking. Now, there, this is an interesting little uh, segment of the of the podcast, uh, Kira, because we've got a, a bit of news, but it leads into a question, uh, as you'll find out. Uh, not deliberately, I don't believe, on the part of uh, producer guy. But now, the, 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 it, it seems that there may well be more Premier League games available on TV without a paid-for subscription in the future after the success of hybrid rights agreements over the past few months. Now, um, Guy sent that question through, securing the knowledge, I believe, that he that I knew what hybrid rights agreements were. Um, so just, obviously, I do, Kieran, but just for those people at home who may not have as much knowledge about this as I do, the first question is, what are these hybrid rights agreements and how will it lead to people not having to pay for football in, on TV in future? Um 
hybrid rights is where the majority of the broadcasting partners or broadcasting rights partners of the Premier League uh, pay substantial fees and recover their money through a subscription model. So we see that with BT Sport. We see that with Sky Sports. And, and that has been the the uh, the method used by the Premier League since its inception in 1992. And that has proved to be very lucrative for both Sky um, the other broadcasters, or some of the other broadcasters, uh, Satanta and Co., yeah, we'd rather draw a line over, um, but also very successful for the Premier League clubs. That their, their income levels, as we know, have, have uh, expanded rapidly. The downside from that is that uh, the, the average viewing figures for Sky uh, are around about 1.4 million. Now, when the, the BBC was able to um, broadcast some matches um, and, and it has to be said, yeah, they, they, they weren't first pick games. You know, I think, you know, and, and that's not a criticism of the clubs involved. Um, it, it's acknowledging the fact that, that Sky and BT are the senior partners. So therefore, they had first dibs at the, you know, the likes of Liverpool versus Chelsea and so on. Um, but the BBC viewing figures, they peaked at 5.7 million. Mm. Um, so the, the view is, and this, this was a story which, which I saw in The Telegraph earlier this week, was that uh, you know, the, the Premier League was looking at that and saying, well, you know, could we have a situation whereby um, we, we have the best of both worlds in the sense that Sky and BT or whoever the, the subscription partners in are will always get the first picks, but that still will leave something on a regular basis for free-to-air broadcasting. Um, and the the extent of the viewing figures would help clubs and also help the Premier League when it comes to selling advertising, sort of, you know, even though there is no advertising on the BBC as such, there is the perimeter advertising and you'd be able to sell those slots at, at even higher prices than they get at present. So so that was that was the rationale from the Telegraph. And then the following day there was a story in the Times to say that's that's not going to be the way forwards. And um yes, the season's going to start on the twelfth of September and it's going back to having only half the games broadcast yeah. um, by by the subscription broadcasters. But then you think, well, hold on, it, what what are we going to do as fans? You know, if if I'm a season ticket holder, my, you know, if if Palace are playing at home or Brighton are playing at home, if you're telling me I forked out for my season ticket, you know, I've, I've bought I've bought my season in good faith for next season. Yeah. I, I do want my a my club to survive, and b you know I, I don't mind paying for it. Uh, then what am I, I thought I was going to get something in return. Uh, and if now you can say, well, no, you, 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 you've got a match, there's three or four matches taking place at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. None of them are going to be broadcast. Who's the winner out of this? It's not the clubs. It's, it's not the broadcasters and it's not the fans. So it does seem a strange way to progress. Yet we're all hoping that matches will cease to be behind closed doors at some point in October and November and even with restricted capacity, yeah. If if we get to see one match in three, then it's yeah. better than one match in none. Is is my view? I, I'm sh- surely the broadcasters. I would say, Kieran, that your season ticket relationship with the club is nothing to do with them, basically. And that, that we we all know these were unusual circumstances. And the deal was made for games to be shown on 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 the BBC and for every game to be shown because. It, they wanted to keep people indoors. They didn't want people going to the grounds to try and sneak in. They wanted to find a way for people to be able to watch every game on, on TV. And as the situation improves, it seems to be a bit naive, Kieran, from both of us to expect the broadcasters to, to carry on with that kind of genuinely altruistic 
point of view, really, because they are two well, they are two separate issues, aren't they? That they are. But if, if you look to see what what has happened, remember Sky got a lot of extra games which they hadn't paid for. Um, for this season they got those for nothing um and they've been able to uh sell advertising at half time and pre match and post match and so on so they will have made um some extra money from selling advertising slots on some of their channels so so they have been beneficiaries right. um they would still have you know, if if the second if the second match of the season it's chelsea versus liverpool that would automatically go to sky because they would have first dibs um what we're talking about here is the the BBC getting, you know, the, the likes of, um, you know, Burnley versus Brighton. Yeah, or Bournemouth Palace. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, you know, So yeah, we we know we we know the type of matches, but at least it allows me as a fan to see them. Um, there's there's no downside for the existing broadcasters, and you could stop that when matches are being played in front of full paying audiences. And then Sky and BT can genuinely say, look, we did our bit for the country because we allowed fans to see matches. Um, It will also um, probably improve the relationship between the broadcasters and subscribers who who might be thinking, you know, if if you're you're going to turn down the opportunity to show matches, uh, why are you expecting me to schlep out £70 a month for the privilege? Yeah, fair enough. In accordance with the random nature of this pod, it brings us on to a great question. Uh, it's not Monday, so I wouldn't normally approve unless, like last week, I forgot to ask a couple because I turned two pages of a bonus <laughs> But this is this is a good question, and it's, and it's very pertinent. So I agreed with Guy that we should ask it. It comes from Graham Marriott. And, and Graham says, and again, this is not something I would ever have considered in a thousand years, not being a non-football fan. But Graham's question is, can you estimate what the price of football is to a non-football supporter, bearing in mind that Sky, BT, Amazon, etc., put huge amounts into football and they get their money back from subscribing and advertising. But that money comes from everybody who uses those company services, essentially. And, and as we know, Amazon's tax situation is interesting, to say the least. So it's Graham uses the, the phrase taxation without representation. But it's, it's, it's quite an interesting question, actually, isn't it? I mean, if you're a, a Sky subscriber, but you only want Sky Arts and... Sky history, how much is football actually costing you? Well, if, if that's all you do want, it's, it's costing you nothing because you, yeah. you have you, you have a separate subscription for Sky Sports. Now, I, I was wondering, is, is Graham saying this because he's, he is a Formula One fan or he is a cricket fan or he's a rugby fan, you know, other sports other than football, and the cost of uh, your monthly subscription, which is eye-wateringly expensive, mm. is that due to the fact that Sky are paying out so much money? It's about £1.3 billion for the Premier league rights um and and the efl rights so um i estimate that um i I went into sky's uh, accounts uh to investigate this legally on behalf of graham and um kieran oh oh, absolutely you know it was yeah we know the the hacking issues have arisen in the past that's fine okay I, I don't end up like other members of my family, uh, sort of uh, broadcasting from from behind bars. Um, so about a one third of of Sky's total broadcasting rights bill is effectively taken up through uh, th- through football. So right. it, it, you, you could, if, if if you could have a non football sports package, 
Um, yeah, I, I think you could reduce the price by at, at least a third. Wow. Okay. Um, if, if that's your way, but if you do want, and, and uh, you know, I've 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 been in the Sky Studios on on uh, quite a few occasions, and I've been incredibly impressed by their professionalism, um, the way that they the amount of research and work and and and. Uh, channels such as Sky Arts are are excellent, uh, you know, and that's as a that's a, as a as a as a non fan of Richard Murdoch, or Rupert Murdoch, as you as we both know. Um, so yeah, you, you can you can simply pay for non sports packages, but you if you if you don't like football, you can't have a non sports football package. So it will probably be at least a third of the total cost you're paying per month, Graham. That's let's first of all not play top trumps about who's been in more studios and who. Uh, but also, <laughs> you're a professional broadcaster. Yeah, the re- <laughs> well, so are you at the moment. You're on telly more than I. Anyway, um, you'll be on a cooking channel as well by the sound of things at the moment. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting question from Graham, though, because it's never occurred to me, because uh, obviously I've got uh, Sky Sport and BT Sport, and I explain to Ali and the tax person that I need them for for research purposes. Of course I do. But it's never occurred to me to to think, or get annoyed that I'm actually paying for Formula One and rugby and, and netball and all the other sports that I wouldn't normally watch. I just assume that they're yeah they're part of the package, and if they're it, it, they're there, I'm pleased to know they're there. And if there is a desperate lack of football, I will watch some of them just to see some kind of ball being moved in some kind of direction. But you just kind of go, well, it's part of the it's part of the deal. Sport football is the biggest the biggest sport, and unfortunately, non football fans just kind of have to live with that. Unfortunately, don't they? They they do at present, but. You know the the way that we're potentially going. Uh, Amazon, my understanding, were very pleased with the with the viewing figures yeah, for the matches yeah. they showed. Um, so, could we move to more of a streaming model where you're paying on a on a per match basis, or you're having a virtual season ticket for your club? So it could be you know you go to watch Palace at home, but then they're in a position to sell you a virtual season ticket for all the away games. Yeah. Um, and that comes through uh, a streamed or an OTT package um, in, in conjunction with either the Premier League itself or uh, a, a new form of partner, which is different to the traditional broadcasting. And if that is the case, you know, what, what is the future for the likes of Sky, who, who have this, this very much bundled approach um, in respect of sport? So it, it could have implications for, for their business model as well. Hi, I'm Steve Lamarck, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. It would be interesting, Kieran, if you could do a bit of digging on the Amazon figures for last season, because I worked on an Amazon show over the period that they were having their first games on TV, and they they wouldn't reveal the numbers, but they were very, very bullish. And I I heard the figure that was being bandied about by people that wouldn't necessarily know, but it it was that they were 60% higher than they expected. So I'm not entirely sure why they're being so reluctant to reveal that it's probably business decision, but it would be fascinating to find out what those figures were. Anyway, again, the scattergun approach. So we go from TV to club shops. Um, and an advert this week 
for a Man City shirt for next season, a Champions League shirt, it says, with a name and number, will set you back £120. That's, I mean, I, I, again, I don't know where this stops, Kieran. We've all, we're all predicting that the Premier League financial bubble will will burst eventually. But £120 for a club shirt, Champions League or otherwise, name and number on the back or otherwise, seems like a lot of money, doesn't it? And if you've got a name on, on it that's got a lot of syllables, it's going to cost you even more, I imagine. It's <laughs> potentially, yeah. potentially, yes. Um, yeah, what, what we are seeing now is... Um, interesting pricing structures be, being employed by by clubs. You can buy the regular shirt uh, for a mere £65, mm. and then you can get the name and number for 15 quid on top. So you can spend 80 quid. But if you want an authentic shirt, i.e. apparently the same ones that the players wear, um, it's going to cost you 120, including your, and, and this is the irony of ironies, given that it's Manchester City, including your UEFA patches. Um, <laughs> right. So, uh, so I, I dug into the uh, authentic shirt, um, and apparently, uh, it, it's it's the ones where they've got holes in them, oh. you know, to, to allow you to breathe more. Okay, go. Yeah, I've I've. Lived, lived most of my life in Manchester, and I used to go and you know watch City play Champions League games quite often. Well, you know, Manchester in November, the last thing you're worrying about on a Tuesday night watching them play in the Champions League is is sweating. <laughs> um, so it, it does seem that they're they're just trying to pr- pretend that you're getting a. a it, it's not it's not going to turn you into a footballer either, you know, because mo- most of the blokes that sit around me at uh, at the Etihad, whenever I used to go to those games, were. I think it's fair to say of a certain age and a certain size. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm more concerned that the regular shirt's up to 65 quid, though. Yeah, that's because it used to be 40, and then it yeah. was, you know, and then it's just been creeping up and up and up. 65 quid for a football shirt. And remember, Premier League clubs used to say, "Well, that we we're only going to change the shirts yeah. every two years," and now it's every year for both the, the home shirt and the away shirt. So. You know, nobody's forcing us to buy this stuff, but there is there is an element of, especially if you have got kids that they, you know, there's playground peer pressure and things of this nature. Um, it 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 is becoming very expensive business. Mm. It is cold in Manchester in November, Kieran. You're right, but it's also cold in Moscow. But that didn't stop me sweating through quite some nights there, as I understand. Um, I got slightly worried the other day on the the Palace, where Palace were offering match worn shirts. Which, for all sorts of reasons in the current climate, doesn't seem doesn't yes. seem particularly a good idea. To be perfectly honest, um, I'm, I'm sure the players have all been tested, but in, just for the moment, I, I think I'll leave Luka Milivojevic sweatshirt sure where it is. Um, again, I can't stress how random this show is this week. We, we're now we're now into the Swiss legal system because the, <laughs> the Swiss. Are t- I'm trying to keep this together, Kieran, here, um, and I'm trying to pretend... You're, doing, you're doing a very professional job. I am. I'm trying to pretend there's some sort of theme to this. But the Swiss Attorney General was offered to resign after a court said he lied in relation to FIFA corruption issues. Yes. So this is the, the Swiss uh, Swiss Attorney General, Mr. Michael La- Lauber, and he, um, he offered his reg- resignation... 20 minutes before giving evidence to a court hearing in relation to FIFA 
corruption issues. Um, and digging into this a bit further, this is all to do with meetings uh, which Mr. Lauber had with um, our, our friend uh, Infantino of of FIFA. Indeed. Now, I, I think you were you were a bit you were a bit concerned. Um, uh, when, when I suggested that, when I, when I described FIFA as a mafiosa organisation uh, on a pod a couple of weeks ago, but let, let's just take a look um, at what happened in respect of one of these meetings. Um, the Swiss, Mr. Lauber, first of all, he knowingly concealed that the meeting took place from the from the people investigating the FIFA corruption issues. Yeah. Um, he went into a meeting with Gianni Infantino. Uh, he did not take any notes. Now, if you're a lawyer, the one thing that you do all the time is you keep a record of what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and, and when pressed uh, by the uh, by the investigating people, he says he can have he has no recollection of what was said at the meeting, and neither did Mr. Infantino. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've had a, a few evenings at the Porson's Arms, where the following day you can probably not remember anything that took place. But That's you probably quite, had a good excuse for that, which involved one or two pints. To be fair, Kieran, the morning after quite a few of these pods comes as a mystery to me sometimes. <laughs> I, I open my Twitter account and go, oh, really? That's what we talked about. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. I mean, again, when you mentioned. Uh, I wasn't concerned about your view, Kieran. I was more concerned about the fact that I haven't got the money to defend myself against claims that we called FIFA a mafioso gang, basically. Um, but I, I, again, I think it's some. This, this is an issue that goes way. We're already overrunning on this pod. And I, th- I think what we have to do is have a separate pod about FIFA because there are so many issues. Here. I mean, and and historically, we've always talked about Concacaf and some of the other regions where the, you know dodgy dealings are going on. This is so big that I'm going to again. I'm going to suggest, and it's not out of fear this time. It's just simply out of time. This is well. I'm going to suggest that we we wait and do a special on this because quite clearly the FIFA thing needs to be talked about in more detail. And in this random mess of a show this week, we haven't got time to do that. To be perfectly <laughs> honest, but you're absolutely right. I mean, these, these, yeah, these. I mean, Infantino did a great job. Again, it's that thing that you know, he comes after blatters. You think, oh, he must be a decent fellow, but it, it, it's that thing where he he presented himself very well, and people like me who want everything to be well and fine just go, okay, great. Yeah, but you know, we, we we do have to examine this, and also we have to examine the English FA's role. Yeah, you know, we we've we're not exactly being clean fingered when it comes to bidding for World Cups in the past. So let's let's park that again, and let's if Guy is listening to this. Uh, and to be honest, he wasn't paying attention when he put this script together, so I doubt if he's paying attention now. <laughs> but if he is listening to this, let's do that FIFA special. And I'm going to ask I'll ask our listeners, and we have listeners from all over the world. I know we have a lot of journalists listening to us from all over the world. Let's get them to send in their, their experiences of FIFA and their suspicions about FIFA and their questions about FIFA. And we'll do we'll do a FIFA special and we'll see how much trouble we can get into. Now we're <laughs> we're, near, we're nearly there. Uh, and thank you for those of us who've been hanging on by the coattails. The owner of Fulham, the owner of Fulham, has written off fifty-three million pounds worth of loans by converting them to shares. Now, is that despite of or because of their potential promotion to the Premier League? Um, no, it, it, it's nothing to do. It just uh, Shahid Khan, who who bought uh, he bought Fulham from. Uh, the guy that used to own Harrods, whose name I've forgotten. Al-Fayed, Mohamed Al-Fayed. Al-Fayed, yeah, Mohamed yeah, Al-Fayed. Who, 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 who once offered me Viagra on the pitch. 
Uh, which again, we'll save. We'll save that for the. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Is that for our greatest hits? Uh, yeah, we'll save that for the greatest hits. It was. A, it was it, the interview was going very well until he suddenly stopped it and said, "Do you look like somebody who could use one of these?" And produced a packet of Viagra from his from his pocket. He was. A, um, yeah, he was a, as a broadcaster. He was a very interesting man to talk to. I wouldn't put him in my club, but anyway, carry on. Um, well, they've got a new owner, Shahid Khan, and and he bought the club for yeah, probably the, the thick end of two hundred million. Um, before the start of this season, he'd lent the club to a further two hundred and twelve million, which he'd then written off, and he's just added a further fifty three. So he's into Fulham for a grand total of half a billion quid um, for a club that's been, you know, pretty yo-yoing. I mean, they, they did very well at Cardiff yeah. um, in, in, the, in the first playoff game. So they look, they've got a fair chance of getting back to the Premier League. Um, I think it's fair to say he's, he also is quite an entertaining character. So the next time you interview him, uh, God knows what he'll offer you because he, he owns the Jacksonville Jaguars in the States. Yes, Remember, we, we spoke about him a few months ago. He tried to buy Wembley Stadium. Yes. Um, and, and then the FA got a bit sniffy about that. So, so they turned that down. Um, and I went in to say, yeah, where did he make all his money from? And apparently it's from truck bumpers, truck. which is... A, a niche industry, and I've and I've been involved in a niche industry or two in my time, but I've never made that much money out of it. Yeah, yeah. Is, a, is there a bumpers joke coming up here? Is that is that as in um, what the little metal? I say I don't drive, so I don't know what they're called. What are they called? The little med, like mudguard things, the little metal things. That yes, go, oh, right, yeah, 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 yeah. But but these are for yeah American trucks, and these are apparently one piece truck bumpers, which are which are very easy to install by garages and so on. So uh, I think he'd come up with a bit of a uh, a bit of a unique uh, solution for for some of the truckers, um, and has made his fortune through that. But uh, he, he's certainly very keen on sports franchises, as he would, or sports yeah. involvement. Full stop. Um, so yeah, he, he's been very generous in respect of Fulham. Uh, he, he keeps lending the club money each season. Fulham spent an absolute fortune the year that they were promoted yeah. to the Premier League, and, and that didn't work yeah, out. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but that that seems to uh, yeah, they, they they put in a decent performance this season to the extent of getting to the playoffs and most of the way there to the final. Now, yeah, let's move on. We're nearly finished, and let's just thank our lucky stars that Ali, my wife, wasn't here to hear me say, the, you know, the little mudguardy things. <laughs> you know the little what they yeah the little gives the mud off the car. Um, another club has folded sadly, Kieran. The Welsh league team STM Sports. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Real went uh, a couple of months ago, um, but but this yeah, th- this seems quite a bitter end to the club's existence. They uh, they they were formed. You know, as a small parks team, they they went through the leagues. They're based in Cardiff. You know, they were hoping to become sort of Cardiff's second club, as it were. Um, they were the champions of the Welsh Division Two last season, uh, including a twenty nil victory. So clearly, yeah, they had some you know half decent players. And then things started to go wrong. They sort of fell out with the FA of Wales. They were denied a license and demoted. Um, and they've made accusations that the reason why they they have been effectively kicked out uh, that uh, it was due to elitism and 
other clubs sort of in the FA FAW uh, not liking a new kid on the block coming through and being a potential threat to them. Um, so they've said, well, if, if you if you are going to deny us a license to play in the top tier of, of Welsh football, um, then you know, what's the point of continuing to exist? So um, the club very sadly has, has uh, decided to fold. And that that is sad because... Yeah. As as football romantics, we we do believe that there is that opportunity. You know, AFC Wimbledon have managed to get into League One, and remember they beat West Ham in the FA Cup a season or two ago, and they came from park football and they were fan based and all of the things that we we sort of hold fairly close to our heart on this show. Um, and in, and it's a shame that STM Sports won't be able to go through that that journey of excitement and you know most of the time of course it turns into uh, yeah there's there's a there's a natural ceiling on how far you can go but they seem to have been stopped by the authorities yeah again you, yeah, welsh football is something we don't talk that much about but the fa of wales i think is again something we should talk about more closely in 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 future pods maybe because the fa of wales their relationship with certainly with the clubs that play in england when when newport folded and restarted the FA of Wales were particularly obstructive towards them it seemed so again maybe that's something else we can park and look at in the future but uh, for all those fans of you know STM Sports our condolences obviously but finally um, Wigan um, a story that we've been following very closely and as you know we've, there's a, I'm hosting a pub quiz to help uh, the fans raise money to pay wages during the summer. Uh, but the Wigan fans' petition to reform the EFL's fit and proper person test now has more than 15,000 signatures. So, again, if that's something we can help to publicise and get more, whether the EFL listen, I don't know. But that can only be a good thing and reflects, I think, uh, how many football fans are concerned about the EFL's fit and proper person test. That's right. The, the the petition is for uh, is for government effectively to to say that that self regulation, which is what we have in the EFL, and you know, the people at the EFL get a lot of stick. Um, in their defence, their responsibility is towards club owners. You know, it's not towards fans, and I think I think it's a common misconception that the football authorities are there as sort of looking after our interests as fans. But you've only got to see the EFL's response to when the DCMS came out in, in the last few weeks saying that uh, advertising for gambling companies should be prohibited. You know, they were straight straight there. Oh, no, no, it shouldn't. You know, ab- yeah, you know, yeah, gambling yeah. is a great great industry. does an awful lot of good for football. Um, so... Um, the, the the view taken by the, it was one of the one of the supporters of Wigan that self regulation hasn't worked because it's given us uh, it's given us what's happened at Wigan it's given us what's happened at Charlton it's given us Steve Dale and Ken Anderson um, and uh, you know a, a roster of of wrongans you know and we and we are, we are anti wrongans in football um, as far as club owners are concerned at least so th- this would be to replace the owners and directors test which is one of self-certification at present through the EFL. Um, If you get more than 10,000 people signing the petition, then the government has to give an official response. Um, If you get it up to 100,000, and I I appreciate that that's... uh, uh, you know, that, w- that would be a challenge. Uh, th- then the matter has to be debated in Parliament. Um, but it, 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 it does show that there is a strength of feeling. Um, and certainly from what I've seen on social media, 
Um, you know, the vast majority of fans have said you know, we are in support of this. Um, and, and if you do feel that way, folks, then you know I'm not saying you should sign it, but if that's how you feel, then it takes 30 seconds to, to go to the government uh, website, uh, sign your name. Yes, I appreciate you got to give your email address and your postcode, but that's just to, to prevent Russian bots and God knows what else, uh, you know, and, and other, uh, other non-legitimate sources signing off on it. So, so if that's how you feel, um, then, you know, it's a way of supporting Wigan fans who, who have done well and, uh, you know, w- without taking sides, we wish them well, of course, um, on on Friday when when their appeal for the twelve point hearing is being held. Indeed, um, I'm going to stop there, Kieran, because Russian bots is something that you will ne- inevitably lead into a story. Um, I'd like to think we're anti wrong and full stop, really, not just football, Kieran. But you know, um, thank you for listening to us tonight, uh, Kieran. I hope your steak has gone down uh, well enough for you to enjoy the steak and kidney pie. It's probably gone down the dog. There's no way. <laughs> Somebody was eating very loudly. Let's blame the dog. Everybody does that. Um, thank you for joining us. If you have questions for us, uh, and in keeping with our new random nature, we may well ask them on a different pod who knows uh questions at priceoffootball.com um we'll be back with you on monday for those don't forget you can ask us about anything you want and we will start preparing that fifa special now so if you're anywhere in the world and you have any concerns or questions about fifa uh please send those to us at questions at priceoffootball.com in the meantime uh until this two or three dreary days until the Scottish Premier League and the FA Cup final. How we'll get through them, I don't know, but have a good week. Take care, everybody. Stay safe, boys and girls. Sun for the